lean over to the person next to you and tell them whether or not you were tempted to sleep in this morning. Go. I hear a lot of yeses. That's not good. A lot of people going to hell there. A lot of people going to hell. We're continuing our series, Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. And if I was to condense all of the wisdom of Scripture into two statements, it would be this. Number one, anyone can build a great marriage. Do you believe that or not? Anybody, they can get married. Like there's a, Now, in our culture, the vast majority of people now believe that that is not the case. Uh, George Barna, the Barna Company, did a poll where they found that 75% of adults 18 to 30 agreed with the statement, it is hard or next to impossible to have a good marriage these days. So do you agree or disagree with that statement? You do? You agree? Disagree? Um, It leads me to the second belief, which I believe that the Bible advocates about marriage, and it's this. With the right behaviors, anyone can destroy a great marriage. With the right behaviors, anyone can take a marriage that's going really well and then out of the blue or over a period of time, they can just tank that relationship. I've seen friends do this. I've seen people at this church do this, people that are great people, people that have great relationships, and they end in flames uh, because they do certain things. Now, a few years ago, the New York Times reported on a major study that tracked 1,761 couples and tracked them for 15 years. They were looking at the behavior, and the article reported the major finding essentially was is that newlyweds enjoy a big boost of happiness that lasts for an average of about two years, and then after those two years, it wears off. Christian, uh, t- uh, Christian author Gary Thomas says it this way, the moment you become smitten by someone, the second you find yourself deeply in love is the moment that hourglass turns over. And there's enough sand in that hourglass on average to last you about 12 to 18 months. On occasion, the sand may trickle down a bit beyond that, up to about two years, but never, much, but never by much and not with the same intensity. The average lifespan of an infatuation is almost always less than two years. Now, the fact of the matter is, anybody that's ever been in a relationship knows we didn't need a 15-year study to tell us that love wanes, that the feelings of love and infatuation wanes. But what exactly is the hard work that you have to get to towards a couple? Now, every person that's in this room that's married falls into one of three groups. And the first group is those who are headed for divorce. You're married, and you know it's just a matter of time. You're waiting till you have enough money, till you, a certain point in the future, let's say where your kids are older, but you're married and you're just putting in the time, and you know that that relationship's done. The second group in the room, those who resigned to simply cohabitate together. Yes, you raise kids together, Yes, you occasionally have sex, you enjoy one another's company from time to time, but you've exchanged intimacy in a marriage 
for functionality. And that's because there are major like elephants in the relationship that you just avoid. And you've been living like this for a long period of time, and it's just like normal. A few years ago, we did a survey of married couples in our church, and more people responded to this survey than in any other survey in the history of our church. And one of the questions that we asked was, obviously you love your kids, you have great moments together with your spouse, but if you could do it all over again, would you marry your spouse? Look at the responses. 13% said no, the rest said yes. Now, if you're a part of the group that said no, just point at your spouse right now. Just do that and say, it's just a matter of time before I dump this sucker, right? It's got to be available. I'll be available soon, right? And, but the fact of the matter, just think about that, right? One out of 10 uh, people were like, I know, I would not have done it. I would not have done it. But even for people who are in a relationship and you see yourself headed for divorce, even for those of you who believe you're in a relationship and you made a mistake, you have the ability to develop a good relationship with one another, a great relationship with one another. And that's because there's a third group in the room today, and that's those who are addressing their deep ancient battles with kindness. Jeff Bridges, the actor, was being interviewed one time, and he was talking about marriage, and the person that asked him, essentially, uh, whenever you have trouble in your marriage, what is, what is it over? And he said, well, my wife and I always go back to what I call the deep ancient battle. And the deep ancient battle is that essentially you don't get what it's like to be me. You, you, don't, you can't see my perspective. You don't know what it's like to live in my skin. And so the good news is that there is a third group who have just as many issues as the first two, just as many disadvantages, just as many feelings of questioning whether or not they made the right decision or question at times if they should get a divorce. Couples who started out just like the other two, but unlike the other two, they understand this passage that we're going to look at today. And if you're here today, this is a must-get passage for making marriage work. Now, this series we've been talking about, it's for everybody, people that want to date, people that want to get married, people that were married, they want to get married again, people that are married. And Paul originally wrote this passage to address a major theological problem that was going on in churches in ancient Turkey. And the issue was this. There were churches that were started And a lot of the people that became Christians in this church were from a Jewish background. And so when people became Christians, they felt that it was important for all the new Christians to get circumcised. Now, it's not a problem uh, to have a family come in and they have babies and the babies can get circumcised. What's the problem for a 40-year-old male getting circumcised? in the first century. You can imagine, it's sort of like, uh, no, no thanks, I'm good, you know? I'll, I'll stay a pagan. I'll sort of hang around the fringes of your church, but let's just say I'm not going all in, all right? And so there was this major, major disagreement. I, the, the, there was so much disagreement, I want you to think of it the way 
Oftentimes, people today can be having a normal conversation, and then all of the sudden, they say, I'm a big Trump supporter, or, right, or I hate Trump, right? And then people just go nuts. People are insane when it comes to politics today, especially Christians. And so just imagine that hatred and that rabid hatred for the other group. That was going on in this, this church in the first century over the issue of circumcision. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this long letter that we call the Book of Galatians, which isn't a book at all. It's a letter on how to resolve differences when you're in conflict with one another. And one of the key passages is this. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Now, what I want to do is I want to I read that through the lens of marriage. And I want us to look at it as if Paul was writing that to resolve the issues and the problem that a, someone was having in a marriage. And I want you to look at it from that perspective. You, my brothers and sisters that are married, are called to be free. But don't use your freedom in your relationship to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you and your marriage, if you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, I want to point out three words in this passage that's helpful to see what Paul's getting at. The first word is this, freedom. Paul points out that when it comes to a marriage relationship, there's no marriage police. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no one that's sitting back in the distance. Oh, all right, Sumter, did you see that? I, they're, they are. They're going to put that on a video and play that over and over again. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So there's no marriage police. In the marriage police, there's like no one saying, like, you get into a little tiff, and they're like, no, 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 time out. Hold on. You're overreacting, okay? Because he said this, and you're over. The, well, so we're going to work this out. Let's have this kind. There's no marriage police. They're not doing that. You have total freedom. If you want to be a kind, loving, sensitive person in your relationship, you can do it. If you want to be a jerk, you can do that too. You can be whatever you want to be in your relationship because there's no marriage police and there's no one standing over you causing you to stop, giving you a timeout, and forcing you to do it over again. So you can have whatever kind of marriage you want. You can be whoever you want to be. That is a law of human nature. The second word, Paul says, is flesh. Do not indulge the flesh. It's the Greek word sarkos. It means like the most base form of our nature. For those of us who have been married, let's just, I want you to remember a, a time where you, have, you were having an argument and you honestly knew that they were in the right, but you're not going to give in, right? So, of course, no one has ever been in that situation other than me. So let's just, 
Imagine you're in, that, you're in that situation, and what you do is you give full vent to your anger. You come at them, and you, and you yell, and in your, in your mind, you're thinking, this is childish. I don't need to make a big deal about this, but you're doing it anyway. That's, that's the flesh. Like, you're going to do what you want to do, even if it's going to hurt them, but you know it's not the right thing to do. That is indulging the flesh. And so, um, a number of years ago, there was a pastor that's in a different state that did something that hurt some people. And so, um, I knew him, not that I was like buds with him, but I knew him enough that, and I knew the people that he hurt, that I just called him up, and I just lit into him. I just lit into him. He, de- he deserved it. He hurt some people. I just came uncorked on the guy. A common friend that we had was a mentor of mine. Um, saw me a week later and said, hey, so-and-so, I was talking to him, and he mentioned this conversation that you two had, and, and so my mentor was saying, let's be honest, he was an idiot, and he hurt some people, and he deserved every single thing that you said. But did you need to say that? Did you really need to, like, give full vent to your anger? And he told me, he was like, so my wife and I have this term that whenever we get into a disagreement and one of us just childishly gives full vent to our anger, the other person will say, you are acting in a way that's unbecoming of a man that's literally 47 years old. You're acting like a child. Or you, as a 46-year-old as a woman, this is totally unbecoming of someone of your age. I mean, you have kids and they educate, all that. This is totally unbecoming of you. And I think that's a good phrase to remember when it comes to marriage, that you have total freedom. There is no marriage police. You can do whatever you want. Have you committed that you will not address your spouse in a way that's unbecoming, in a way that is unkind, in a way that's unneeded, in a way that indulges the flesh? Uh, Psychologist Cliff Materius and Howard Markin um, did a study with couples, and they found that, you know, whenever you think of a couple, you're like, now that couple's going to make it. And you always think of, you know, the way they treat one another and they're acting in the early years. You're like, no, 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 they're going to make it. They said none of the factors that you would normally use when you would look at a couple and say, now they're going to make it actually exist. He said, they, they, they found when it comes down to it, the thing that differentiates a couple that makes it and a couple that doesn't is actually in, in, in the first part of their marriage. That couple, those two couples looked very similar. He said, among couples who would ultimately stay together, we found on average five out of every 100 comments made about each other were put down. So just five out of 100. But among the couples who would later divorce, roughly 10 out of 100 were insults. But the gap magnified over the following decade until couples were flinging five times as many cruel and invalidating comments at each other 
as happy couples. And the researchers said hostile put-downs act as cancerous cells that, if unchecked, erode the relationship, and in the end, relentless, unremitting negativity takes control, and the couple can't get through a week without major blow-ups. That's essentially what the Apostle Paul's saying. You have a choice. You can be kind. You can be gracious. You can extend forgiveness. You can try to be understanding. Or you could be a butthole. It's in the Bible. It says that, butthole. It, just, it really does. Here's the third word I want, I want you to notice. It's the word destroyed. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. The word destroyed means to completely empty, like draining an account of all of its funds. If you constantly nitpick and bite and argue, eventually there's going to be nothing left that you feel toward each other. Like the constant bickering, constant second-guessing, constant, it's like a dripping faucet. Eventually, there's not going to be any feelings whatsoever of love towards that person. So let me ask you, are you willing... Are you willing to serve your spouse in love and basically not win arguments? Which, which is hard. It's hard to answer, yeah, I'm going to be that kind of person. And see, the third group, the one who has healthy marriages, it's not because they don't have issues. They have the same issues. It's just the way that they work on their issues. A couple years ago, we asked people at CCV to answer this. Don't put this up yet, okay? We asked them this question. What's the number one thing about you that you and your spouse argue about. Don't put it up yet, but what's the number one thing you and your spouse argue about, okay? Now lean over to the person next to you, and I want you to come up with what that is. What's the number one thing couples at CCV argue about? Go. Okay, what are some guesses? Money? What else? I heard someone say, should we have kept Nick Foles? <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a good argument. Here, here's, here's what, this is what people at CCV said. Take a look at this. Number one's money. Number two is what? Household responsibilities. What's household responsibilities? Who's doing the laundry? Who's doing the dishes? Who's, getting the, who's planning the meals, who's, I mean, just think about that. Think about, these are little things, right? Money problems aren't little, but the vision of household responsibilities, number two, we're going to blow up our relationship on who's doing the laundry. Everyone knows who's doing the laundry. My wife's doing the laundry. <laughs> number, number three, what's number three? Sex. And number four, issues with kids. Handling discipline with kids, behavioral issues, all that kind of stuff. You want to know why I put this up here? Because I just wanted you to know, you're normal. You're normal. The stuff that you're going through, it's not like you're alone. It's not, you know, oftentimes when you get into a relationship and, you're, and you have these deep ancient battles and you're going at each other and you're not doing it in a healthy way and you're, you're biting each other and you're at risk of devouring a relationship, often you feel so isolated because, like, we're the only ones who are doing this. We're the only ones at church who are struggling with this. I showed you this because you're normal. So I just want you to be abnormal 
in the way you deal with it. Don't be like the culture. Choose to love your spouse as yourself. I want to I finish by, by reading this quote by Tim Keller. I just love how he expresses this. Tim Keller says this about marriage. Over the years, you will go through seasons in which you have to learn to love a person you didn't marry, who was something of a stranger. You will have to make changes that you don't want to make, and so, so will your spouse. The journey may eventually take you into a strong, tender, joyful marriage, but it is not because you married the perfectly compatible person. That person doesn't exist. Let's pray. God, we just need your help to, to not indulge the flesh, that when we're wronged or when we're hurt, to not respond like the world. To be, to be gracious and kind and seek to understand because in the end, if we do bite and devour, we're just going to create more pain. So we just pray that you would help us and show us how in all of our relationships, in our friendships, in our dating relationships, in our marriage relationships, in our family relationships, help us to truly be gracious and kind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.